which really, this chapter could be called The Miracles of Elisha, right? I don't know if I, we like to you know, talk too much about when he sick the bears on the teenagers. That's one of those funny ones. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. It was the power of God. I'm not sure if it was the love of Christ. There. <laughs> uh, old covenant stuff there. Earth opening up, you know, and swallowing people whole. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that stuff anymore? Boy, oh boy, oh boy. I, every time I read about Korah or Absalom or, or David for that matter, you know, and some of the, some of the things that God showed his grace and mercy even back then, but I'm, I'm always so thankful. Uh, if you've never read the book, Why Grace Changes Everything, it is a good book to read. Uh, especially if you read it in conjunction with um, A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God. Those, those two books for me, uh, after the Bible, of course, uh, you know, just incredible books. To Tozer's book, uh, The Pursuit of God, really just portrays in such a vivid way <clears throat> the desperate need that we have to have God in our lives, not just around our lives and, and interceding here and there, but to be a part of every aspect of our waking minutes and moments and seconds. Uh, Tozer paints such a great picture. And then Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, uh, it, it, it really, the title is, is perfect because grace does change everything. When you get an understanding, when you have an understanding of grace, which I don't know if we'll ever fully be able to, to realize or comprehend uh, the grace of God, the limitless grace of God, uh, it, it changes everything. It really does change everything in your life when you realize that you are truly free in Christ. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the catch is you need to be in Christ, right? That's the catch. Uh, and, and people like to talk about all the things about Christ and all things, but you need to be in Christ, right? Everybody needs to be in Christ. And there's one way into the body of Christ, and that is through repentance of our sins, asking Him for forgiveness, and for Him to come into our lives and into our hearts. That experience changes everything. But then understanding His grace and His mercy, uh, it, it tell you when the Bible talks about not judging, I look back on my own life and my own Christian walk and the years the Pharisee years, <laughs> some of the Pharisee years where I judged everybody and everything because I didn't truly understand the love and the grace of God and of Jesus Christ. Because once you understand that fully, you see the depth of your own depravity, right? And boy, it helps you not to judge other people. When you see, like Jesus said, to him who has been forgiven much, the same loves much. But to them who have been forgiven little, the same love little. When you realize how much you've been forgiven for and that God loves you anyway, and in spite of it all, he receives you as his son, as his daughter every single day, it is a breathtaking and staggering reality to live in. You know? and, then you, and then you see what Paul says, you know, to live is just Christ. You know, what's this life all about? It's just Christ. To live is just Christ. Jesus, 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 Jesus. You ever hear somebody say, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. That's a bunch of poppycock. That's a bunch of rubbish. You can't possibly be heavenly minded enough. Trust me, no matter how hard you try, you can't be heavenly minded enough. Uh, but Jesus is the reason. He is the centerpiece of civilization and he is the centerpiece of our hearts and our lives and everything is about him and for him and because of him. And I'll tell you what, boy, that's how, that gives you great perspective because no matter what's happening in your life today, this week, this month, this year, the, the trials, the tribulations, Jesus Christ supersedes all of that. So ma no matter what, Paul says, this is why Paul says, I know how to abound. No matter what my circumstances, 
no matter what's going on in my life, whether I have much or whether I have nothing, whether I'm free or whether I am in chains, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because it's all about Him. To, to, to live is Christ. The rest is just details, right? To die, that's the prize right there. Say, what? <laughs> that's the prize. To die is great gain. To die is great gain. That's a good way to live, I'll tell you that. Um, so 2 Kings chapter 4 we're picking up in, in verse uh, 8, and we're going to be talking about the, the Shunammite's son, the Shunammite and her husband and her son. Uh, and then Pop's going to pick up from there in chapter 4. We're covering a couple, taking a few, couple weeks, a couple few, two, three services to cover chapter 4. Um, verse 8 starts, Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunam, where there was a notable woman. And she persuaded him to eat some food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. Now on his way from uh, Samaria through Jezreel and up to Mount Caramel, which apparently Elisha made that trip rather often. We're going to find him later hanging out at Mount Caramel. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of it has to do with Elijah and Elijah's travels in, the, in areas that Elijah ministered. And Elisha was a mimicker, was a follower of Elijah in so many ways. Uh, when we get to the raising of the Shumanite woman's son, you're going to see it mirrors what Elijah did. Um, and he truly was a student of Elijah. Um, and, and, and understand, too, when Elisha asked Elijah, say that ten times, so it's good, uh, when he asked him for a double portion of his spirit, it wasn't out of pride, it wasn't out of vanity, it wasn't out of conceit or any of those things. Um, Elisha saw his own need. And he understood, you know, if you're, if you're a person who truly understands the nature of God and the calling that God has on your life, you are ultimately driven to the point where you say, woe is me, <laughs> I am a person who, I'm undone. I'm a person of, un who am I that God would send me? Who am I? And you realize there's this desperate need that we have for the Holy Spirit to be coursing in our lives. I need the power of God. I love that, 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 that word, um, Jesus says, wait uh, in Jerusalem until you've been filled with the Spirit, uh, until you've been endued with power from on high. And, and there's a word there, there's the Greek word that's deutimus, which literally means the ability to do. Uh, and it's also one of the root words that we get TNT from, right? D dynamite. Uh, the ability to do. To do what? To do that which we are incapable of doing ourselves. That's what the Spirit offers to you. That's what the Spirit offers to us. The ability to do that which we cannot do for ourselves, which is to have a relationship with God, to walk with God, and certainly to live according to His statutes, His precepts, to have that mindset of God. These are not human attributes, you understand? The best we can do is a poor reflection, right? Is, is a poor imitation uh, of, of what's in God. But Elisha saw his need. That's, that's why he asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He, he knew that he needed the help. <laughs> uh, but apparently he would travel from Samaria and he would go through Jezreel, which is, which is the valley of what we would call Megiddo or where Armageddon is going to take place and head up to Mount Caramel. And this town here is right at the center place. It's right in the middle of that journey. So it was a perfect place for him to stop. And there's this notable woman, it says, and she persuaded him to eat some food and so it was, as often as he passed by, that he would turn in there to eat some food. 
And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for, uh, for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us that he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. So we have a, a woman here of means and reputations here at Shunem. Uh, and not knowing who Elijah, Elisha is, she sees something in him and, tells, uh, and it tells her that she needs to reach out to this man. Notice what she says in verse 9. She said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. You know, she doesn't say this is Elisha. Uh, she doesn't. She doesn't say that there's. A, she doesn't say that she knows. She knows though that there's something different about Elisha. She knows that there's something. She knows that this is a man of God. And in the course of time, uh, she realizes <laughs> uh, that it is a man of God, and she wants to be associated with him. Uh, and so, her and her husband build a little apartment on the roof. When it says here. Uh, let us make a small upper room on the wall. What it means there, literally, what they would do is they would build, they, would, they had flat roofs, didn't get a lot of snow load <laughs> there, so they would have a flat roof, and it literally means a room of walls. So, so they built a little apartment for Elisha on top of their home so that he could go, uh, and when he would, was passing through, he would actually have a place to stay. And I love it because she specifically says, a bed, a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. And I was thinking, how would you like those accommodations? You know, I was just thinking of just the simplicity of this. Uh, when we were in Israel, we, we, went into, uh, we went into Jordan for part of the, part of the trip, and we stayed in, a, in an, uh, it's like an it's ancient Bedouin village that was uncovered, and then they turned it into a hotel resort. Uh, and with the exception of having a pool and a restaurant, right, the, the, the dwellings that you stay in is pretty much original. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I wasn't impressed. <laughs> I was like, I don't care that it's an ancient Bedouin village, dude. Close the window. Where's, you know, where's, the, where's the air conditioner? This bed is not very comfortable, you know. And I was just thinking the, the, the simplicity of this and how it touches Elisha, we're going to find. Uh, but a roof, a place to sleep, and a place to eat, and a light to live by. And this is, this is, this is, you think about this, the, the, the Old Testament uh, and even the New Testament, the, the saints of old, the simplicity of their lives. And it got me thinking this week, really thinking about God's idea of an appropriate standard of living and how far we are beyond that. I don't mean in a sinful way or in a negative way, but do we realize do we realize how far we are beyond an appropriate or an acceptable standard of living? We are so far beyond that. 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, and verse 8 says this, And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Which I immediately begin to look inward. Yeah, that's all I need, man. As long as I got food and clothing on my back, I'll never complain. <laughs> and it's like, no, I complain about everything. If it's not like verbalized, it's in here or it's in here. Like if everything isn't just so, I got a problem. I got a problem with it. And the distractions that we have, these wonderful distractions, I think it's so easy for us to be thrown off course 
and to be thrown off of God's straight and narrow and sometimes difficult path because of the shiny things, because of all the shiny things we have. I love here the simplicity, and I love how it, she says it. She points it out. Imagine you go to stay at a, at a friend's house, and you go into the room, and there's nothing in there, just a table and a chair and a bed and a lampstand and a Gideon Bible. Right? That's it, you know. You see Elijah, you know, carrying his scrolls with him and stuff like that. You wonder whatever whatever he had, and just to read them by the light and to pray, and that was all that he needed. That's that was all he needed. Interestingly enough, that Tozier, A.W. Tozier, who wrote The Pursuit of God, the book I was telling you about, this is the he was kind of a weirdo, Tozier was, really. And he would like he would do strange things. Like he'd have guests over for dinner. And then in the middle of the meal, or in the middle of hanging out with them, he would be like, I, I, I miss God, and I need to go spend time with him right now. Thanks for coming over. And he would go down in his basement and start to pray. You know, and no doubt the people were like, oh, well, I mean, it's A.W., I guess. You know, what are we going to to complain too much for? That's kind of weird. That's kind of strange. But you find in his life that he had this desperate need. If he was, if he was not communicating, and if he was not having that, that conversation with God, it didn't take too long where he felt like something's way off here. I gotta, I gotta stop everything and gotta go down in my basement and I gotta spend that time with the Lord. And see, we're so entertained and we have so many distractions. You know, we, and everybody knows about the phone. So I'm gonna do a whole big harp thing on the phone. The, 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 phone, it's, it's, it, the phone is just, it, what it is is it's a distraction. We have to, there can't be five seconds in our lives there can't be five seconds where we just sit quiet. You know what I'm saying? Like I, and, and, and please don't misunderstand what I'm going to say here. I love the children's ministry. It's a necessary thing. I'm glad that we have it. What I would love to see, what would really bless my heart to see, would be to see kids who are 8, 7, 8, 10 years old sitting in the service and listening to the message. Well, kids can, no, no, kids can understand the Word of God. Kids can understand the Word of God. What did Jesus say about little kids? Unless you become like a little kid, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. This should be children's church, <laughs> right? Bunch of kids sitting in this place is what it should be in our hearts. Right? The simplicity there, though. Uh, and, and, and I find this truth. When I'm driving is really one of the very best times of worship and reflection that I get. You know what I mean? I hate to say that, but the, it's the fact that, and I get to, I drive a lot for work, so it works out well for me. But I'm driving. I got no, I got no place. I get, what am I going to do? And so I can listen to worship, and I can listen to the word, and I can do these things. And man, I'll tell you, like most of my tears shed in worship and prayer happen in my stupid service van uh, because I'm not as distracted. And 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 yet I find myself when I get home, and, and there's and there's nothing. You ever get bored? Boredom is a big problem, isn't it? <laughs> Boredom's a problem because I feel that I need to be entertained. I feel I need to be entertained. This is just, this was hitting me. This was hitting me. The light of God to walk in and the bare necessities. The light of God to walk in and the bare necessities. We're so full of things that don't matter that the things that do matter sometimes can become neglected. Now, in verse 11, it says, It happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And I want to I point out too here just the humility of this woman. 
okay? She, uh, you know, the prophets of old, especially in the northern kingdom, guys, were not superstars. They were not celebrity. They didn't have celebrity status. Nobody was looking for Elisha. Did you see, oh, did you see, he was a pain in the butt, to everybody. You know why? Because the stupid prophets were always telling you that what you were doing wasn't good enough. And it angered the people. Remember what Ahab, he would say, is that you, my enemy? Is that you, my enemy? Well, is there a... Pro-? And, then, and then later, remember when they're, he's about to go into to battle with Jehoshaphat, is there, isn't there a prophet of the Lord here we can inquire? Well, there is a prophet, Micaiah, but I hate him because he only ever prophesies bad about me. You know? And he would always say, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah would say, I'm not troubling Israel. I, I, I'm, 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 eating, I'm eating honey and grasshoppers out here. I'm not impacting Israel at all. You and your wife are troubling Israel with your worship of Baal and the Ashtoreths. You're destroying this nation. And yet you're going to look at me because I tell you that you're wrong according to the word of God and tell me that I'm a troubler of Israel? May we all be troublers of America. And you know you're looked at like that, correct? If you stand up and you make a stand for the Word of God and what the Word of God has to say, and I don't mean on a, on a soapbox with a megaphone screaming and frothing at the mouth. I mean in relationship and I mean kindly and with love in your heart, you speak the truth, you are a troubler. You are a hate monger. You are this, you, whatever. There's, there's, now it's the, it's, we live in the time of labels. You give somebody a bad label, why? So you can shut them up. I don't want to be called a this or a that or a hate monger or a bad person or a bigot. And so I don't speak the truth of God's word because I don't want to be, I don't want to be looked at that way. Elisha didn't care how people looked at him. And neither did Elijah. And for their trouble, they were called a troubler of Israel. So here's a notable woman. Okay, she's a woman of means. She's married. A, she, her, her and her husband have wealth. They have influence. Okay, and yet... You see her posture in front of Elisha. How she is humble and how she is reaching out to serve him, to meet his needs. She understands there's something, there's something more here that's going on. I love it. How she, she, he has his servants summon her and she comes and she stands before him. Uh, and in verse 13, he said to him, Say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king? I'm not sure what good that would have done. I'm not sure. Was he talking about the king of Judah? Maybe that would have done some good. He certainly could have been talking about the king of Israel, but maybe. Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered and said, I dwell among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Here she is again. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elijah had told her. Uh, You get the sense here in this chapter that Elisha's gift of miracles was so profound that asking God for them becomes routine. Like this chapter, especially, he's just like looking for a reason to ask God for some miracle. Uh, and I think that partially this goes back to that simple life that he lived where everything was stripped away, that relationship with God 
And his relationship with God was so much more vivid because of it. Um, you ever have a situation in your life where somebody in your life kind of ditched you for a better situation? Whether it was a friend who ditched you for another group of friends or for a thing or whatever the case. You ever experience, or maybe, maybe you've been that person. We've, we've probably all at some point in time ditched a job for a better job, right? That's okay. There's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that, by the way. But if you ever, have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that feeling where someone has kind of ditched you or flat left you for a different situation or maybe a, a better situation? And then when that thing fell apart for them, they came back, maybe acting like nothing had ever happened. God experiences that every day. <laughs> That's the experience that God has with us. That's the experience that God has with his people. So often we get distracted by the shiny thing and we don't spend time with God. Our time with God, it just goes away. He gets put to the side. And then when things get difficult, when things get troubling, we come back and there God is every single time waiting with open arms. Elisha, I don't think, experienced that. I don't think God experienced that with Elisha. And I think, again, partially it's because of that simple life that he lived. So he wants to bless this woman for all of her kindness and her hospitality. Uh, and, and here's what I love about this is he how touched Elisha is, how moved he is by the Shunammite woman and her hospitality and how much he wanted to recognize that. Now understand, and this is going in the Bible for a reason, right? This is going in the Bible for a reason. God is recognizing this for a reason. You don't have to have a gift of healing or prophecy or be a preacher or a worship leader or an evangelist in order to do God's work. Being hospitable and seeing to people's basic needs is just as much God's work as preaching a message is. Do you know that? In fact, uh, she was blessed with sustenance and she wanted to use her blessing to bless someone else. And this is of enormous worth and value to the kingdom of God. I love what Hebrews chapter 13 verses 1 and 2 says this. Let brotherly love continue, and, and, and you guys know this verse, but it's one of those things that I think we've read it a hundred times, and have we ever stopped and really, really thought about the implications? Let brotherly love continue, and do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And we all know that verse, but you think about that verse. Have I ever? You think possibly you've ever? I don't know. But this is what God says. It means that from time to time, what this verse means to me is that from time to time, God has sent angels to people's homes just to give someone an opportunity to take care of one of them. I wonder about that. How'd you like to get to heaven and one of the angels walks up to you and says, hey, sorry, it didn't work out that time. When I called you and asked if, there, if, if, you, if, we, if you had time for a meal or if you could possibly uh, take me out to dinner or something like that, and, and, and you were, you were kind of like had second, sorry, that didn't work out. You know, can you imagine that? I, I just wonder about things like that. Have I ever had an opportunity that God has given me to maybe minister to an angel and I've turned it down for some whatever? It, it wasn't a good time or I didn't like the person's the way they looked or whatever the case may be. I wonder, I wonder about that. But the point is, is that hospitality, taking care of people's most basic needs is doing God's work. Remember the last supper, the first thing that Jesus did, the first thing that he did before he 
instituted communion, before he prayed all those prayers for the disciples, before he gives them that message at the communion table, the first thing he does is what? Wash their feet. It's the first thing that Jesus did. And remember what he said to them. Do you understand? Do you understand what I've done for you? A servant is no greater than their master. And the example that Jesus set, if you want to be great in the kingdom, then you'll be what? Servant of all. That hospitality, that, that willingness to serve, that willingness to reach out, to help, to meet people's needs is of incredible value to the kingdom of God. Elisha first offers to speak on her and her husband's behalf to the king or the commander of the army to curry some political favor, perhaps. And I notice what she says, and I love what she says. She is content because she says, I dwell among my own people. That's what that means. What that means is, you don't have to do anything for me, Elisha. I am perfectly content with my life. There's nothing that I'm looking to get in return physically, materialistically, uh, you know, socially, politically. There's nothing that I'm looking to get other than to bless you. That, that's, I want to be associated with you because you're a man of God. I see you as a man of God. I want to be associated with that and I want to bless you. I don't need to be rewarded for it. That is a beautiful, beautiful statement. Uh, contentment is a state of the heart, not a state of having a certain amount of things. You know, if, if I can get this, then I'll be happy. If I can acquire this many of this, then I'll be happy. If I can be in this situation or be in this relationship or whatever, 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 then I'll be happy. That statement right there is, is almost like a self-condemning statement because guess what? That's not what's going to make you happy. If you say, if then, if there's anything that you can get, or if I could do this, or if I could have that, then I would be content, then I would be happy, then we don't understand what contentment is or what it means. Uh, Proverbs 27.20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. And 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. I love that one. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says this, let your conduct be without covetousness. We know what, you know what covetousness is, right? Coveting is desiring things that we don't have. Well, it doesn't have to belong to somebody else. It doesn't necessarily have to be, I, want, I wish I could have Chuck's truck, you know what I mean? I want Chuck's truck. Just wanting something, whatever it is, and, and, and where it consumes your thoughts and it consumes your mind, that's covetousness, which the Bible also says is a form of idolatry. Because the only thing that I should be seeking after in that, in, in, with that intensity are what? The things of God. The kingdom of heaven. Remember what Jesus says to his disciples. You know, don't go running around after all the things of this world and all the things of this life. Food, even, even when it comes to food and clothing and, and raiment, all of these things. Because he says, the Gentiles run around after these things. The people who don't know God, is what Jesus is saying, are the people who run around worrying about getting, getting, getting. I need to do this, I need to do that. He said, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right? And all of these things will be added to you. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 5, again, let your conduct be without covetousness. And he says, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And those words, 
Those words are all that we need. I will never leave you or forsake you. So Elisha instead gives her something that money can't buy at all. <laughs> he, hits, uh, he hits the nail right on the head um, when he tells her, you're going to have a son. It's interesting. She says, uh, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant when he says you're going to have a son. What she means is that she had not dared to hope that she would ever conceive. She had not dared to hope that she would ever have a child. Now, when, when his servant uh, says that she doesn't have a son and her husband is old, notice he doesn't say that she's old. He says her husband is old. She may, she may have been a younger woman. She may have been in her 20s. You know, old in those days, you know, 55, you're really at the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're really pushing the edge there. You know, so he's an older man. And when he dies, she has no, there's no son to take over his inheritance. There's no son to continue on. There's no son to support her and take care of his mother, which would be his, his job. She's just going to be a widow, right? Uh, and this statement that she says to him, don't, don't lie to your, to your maidservant. Like, it's like she had not dared to hope. Like, please, Elisha, like I've not even vocalized this almost. Like that's not something that I've even talked about because I've never, I've never dared to even hope. Don't even, don't, please don't say that unless it's 100% true. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Um, she, she, uh, she believed having a child was not an option, but somewhere in her most private thoughts and prayers, there was a desperate desire uh, to have a son. And the, the point there for me is God knows. God knows. Whatever our deepest desire is, whatever it is in our hearts, you know, the, the, the righteous things, God knows exactly where you are at today. And whatever it is that you say, you say, God, I, I wish that this could be in my life. And it's, not about, and it's not about coveting after something or lusting after something of this world. There's just some truth, there's just something that you just, you just, God, I wish that this could be in my life. Understand, God knows. God knows all about that. Uh, and then uh, in verse 17, um, uh, the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reaper. So he's a little bit older now. He could have been anywhere from 12 to, to, to 16 years old. We, we're not sure. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Can you, can you imagine that? Her only son, this promised son of God, immediately I'm, I, I, I think of Isaac. You know, immediately I think of Isaac. Uh, but here is her son, this, this promised son. Think of, think of Samuel. You know, think of Samson. Think of, you know, think of these, these sons that women weren't able to have a child and then God said, I'm going to give you a child. And the, imagine the worth and the value and the love, the intense love that she had for this boy. And now here it is all being taken away from her. Just all of a sudden, my head, my head. Interesting, isn't it? It, was, it could have been a tumor. It could have been an, an aneurysm, something that they would have had known nothing about. Uh, and, it, and he sits on her knees and then he dies. Um, let's see. And she wept, excuse me, verse 21, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. And then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys 
that I may run to the man of God and come back. Now, this is interesting because notice what her husband says. So he said, why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. In other words, it doesn't matter. I can go to him. He'll receive me. It doesn't have to be a special high holy day for the man of God to receive me. I love that there. There's a different understanding, isn't it, that she has about Elijah and his ministry and also about the things of God than her husband has. Her husband has this religious sense of Elisha and the things of God. Well, it's, well, it's not a new moon. Not, it's not a new moon. It's not a Sabbath. Like, why are you going to the man of God today? She understands, because I have need. Like, that's why I can go to the man of God today. It's okay. It is well. I can go to him because I have need. I have a need. I don't know if he would have even thought it would have been anywhere in her husband's mind that, he, that there would have even been a thought in her mind that her son could have been brought back from the dead. Uh, so she, verse 24, then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, uh, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? Now notice, it, it, it's giving her response. This means Gehazi ran to her, and he asked this question, and this is what she said, and she answered, it is well. Well, we know that it, it was not well at all, was it? He had died. So what is the reason for that? What is the reason for that? She wanted to, get, to sit at Elisha's feet, right? She wanted to get to Elisha. There's a desperation here. She tells a little fib, everything's fine. I just need to talk to the man of God. She wants to do anything that she can to get to him. Uh, <clears throat> let's see, sorry. Verse 27, now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away, but the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready. It's interesting, she doesn't give him the rest of the story, he knows. Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. Which is a weird verse, isn't it? Now remember, Elijah had done the same thing. Uh, when God had given him a widow to minister to, uh, and her son had died, remember, Elijah had, remember, nobody had ever been raised from the dead again. And, and Elijah, neither Elijah nor Elisha could say, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. You understand? Like there was, there, they didn't know Jesus. They knew, they knew there was something that God had planned, some sort of Messiah. They didn't know Jesus. There was no the name of Jesus. 
Nobody had ever been raised from the dead before. And Elisha's only reference was what Elijah had done. And so it's interesting that first he has the servant put his staff on top of the kid. Maybe the Moses thing will work, you know? Put the staff on him. Maybe that'll bring him back to life. That didn't work. Then he goes in, then he prays. And then he says, well, I'll try what Elijah did. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed, isn't this interesting, seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Uh, now, kind of going back to her meeting with, with Elisha, it seems that Elisha spoke to the Shunammite woman through his servant Gehazi. Uh, and understand that this was an issue of propriety. This is what that was all about. Uh, even to this day, a, a super religious Jew, like a Hasidic Jew, he will not ever touch a woman who's not his wife. Some of them won't be in the same room alone ever with a woman who's not their wife. It's a matter of, uh, of propriety. That's, that's what the issue was there. Um, she was not his wife, and a religious Jew won't directly talk to or even touch a woman who isn't his wife or a family member. But what I love about this is that she didn't care about the propriety. She was in desperate need. She was in desperate need. And uh, God does care <laughs> about propriety. We read in the scriptures, but desperate need trumps propriety, doesn't it? I always think of, when I read this, I also think of the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, who, who, who everything that she did up to and getting to and touching Jesus was unlawful, right? She, she, was not, she was making everybody unclean that she was touching. Everybody was being made ceremonially unclean. Just like when the lepers, uh, when Jesus put his hands on the lepers, they were not supposed to be around anybody that close where they could touch them. But propriety didn't matter. What mattered was the desperate, the desperate need. I love this. And her attitude, I'm not going to leave your side, Elisha. I'm not going to leave your side. She knew, she knew, something in her knew that Elisha was going to see this thing through. And I love that, the faith that she had, the trust that she had in, in Elisha, which reminds me, of course, we have someone so much better than Elisha. Amen? In Jesus Christ. And we can trust him. We can trust him. And he recognizes our need. He knows our deepest desires, our deepest thoughts. And we should always, 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 we should always be willing to run to him, regardless of the circumstances, and not allow the distractions of this life, of this world, to keep us away from him. So that's what I got, folks. Let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we're thankful uh, to you, Lord God, for all that you've done for us. We're so thankful for our salvation, Lord, and just the blessings that we have in this life. Um, Lord, the, the relative health, Lord, and, uh, the, and so far beyond just the provisions that we need, Lord. Um, we are so blessed with so many things, and we're so grateful. We're so thankful to you, Father. And um, Lord, as always, we pray and we ask, Lord, that you would help our focus to be firmly placed and put on the things that are pertaining to you, to your kingdom, Lord, uh, and to not be distracted, Lord, by the things of this world to the point where our relationship with you gets neglected or put to the side. We pray, Father, that you would give us a singular focus, uh, Lord, and a deep desire to draw close to you, to draw near to you, uh, Lord, and to sit at your feet. We pray, Father, that our faith would also increase and we would believe in you, Father, and trust in you for 
uh, the miracles that we depend on you for every day, Lord, and also the ones that are the desires of our hearts. We pray for our loved ones, our, our friends and coworkers and uh, family members that we all have and that we all know, Lord, who don't know Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, for their souls and that you would use us to be a light in their life, Lord, uh, that they would be able to see the love of Christ in, in and through us, Father. So we love you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. Amen.